1993, and uh, Mike Ditka, Mike Ditka, that's how you guys say it, was the coach of the Chicago Bears until he was fired that year. And they had Mr. Didka come to a press conference to talk about why he was fired and how he was feeling. And he got up to the microphone with a tremble in his voice. And he said, well, scripture says that this too shall pass. And one of the reporters looked at another reporter and was like, is that really in the Bible? And it's not. See, this series we're going to participate in is called Misquoted. And it's about myths or sayings or memes that might look good on your Instagram, but are not found in the Bible. And the reason that we're doing this series is that in 2018, if you weren't here in the last couple of weeks, what we have committed to is a whole year of listening for the voice of God through two things, through the Bible and through prayer. And so we want to get really clear on what scripture has to say. And we also want to get really clear on what scripture does not have to say that we assume it says. And so we want to look first for the voice of God in the Bible, the written word of God. So I, I said to you, I had a bunch of Bibles out last week. Who brought your Bible? Who brought your Bible? You got them? Raise them up. Come on now. We're doing it. Oh, who's got a Bible? All right. The rest of you. Shame, shame. I know your name. Just kidding. Um, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and there's a, there's a little... Uh, a soft cover one in front of you. You grab that, you take it home. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to have it. We don't think there should be any house anywhere that doesn't have a Bible, okay? Also, if you want a really nice leather one, go look in the lost and found. People always leave them here. Anyway. <laughs> so I want to begin each and every week of this series talking about kind of a tip, a, a, like a tip for reading the Bible. Oftentimes I hear from people, hey, the Bible's kind of hard to read. How do I read it? And so I want to give you a, a tip to start out with. Listening to the Bible, tip of the week. And the tip of the week is this. Always remember to check your sources. Mike Didka, okay? Check your sources. Because when Mike Didka said, all scripture, uh, you know in scripture it says, this too shall pass. What he didn't realize was he hadn't checked his sources. The, that passage was not actually there. And the first rule in Bible reading is always to check your sources. Just because somebody says it's in the Bible does not mean that it's in the Bible. Just because somebody has a microphone and stands in front of you and talks about the Bible doesn't necessarily mean he actually is speaking the Bible. Okay? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, you should check my sources, okay? You should go home and you should say, hey, Pastor Brian said, well, that was in James. Was that actually in James? We should look that up. And if not, we should call him and say, dude, you check your sources, bro. You're like preaching, right? We should always, always, always check our sources. And the point of this is that the Word of God is the Word of God, and it's only the Word of God. Everything else is commentary. Everything else is commentary. What I'm going to do for the next 25 to 30 minutes is just give you a lot of commentary. The only time the Word of God is speaking in this place right now is when I read Scripture. It's when I actually open this book and I read the words of God. Everything else is commentary. So it's important for us 
to check our sources to make sure we're going back to the actual written word of God. Because when we don't, what we end up doing is mishandling the word of God and making stuff up. And that's the point of this whole series. And we come up with things like this. The first misquote of our series, which is... This verse you thought was in the Bible, but it's not. God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. Or you, or you maybe say to somebody, hey, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I mean, I have heard this one over and over and over, and it's found in the book of 1st Falsinthians 10, verse 13, which is not in the Bible, okay? It's not in the Bible. Um, many of you have heard this. Many of you have said this. Uh, it sounds good, right? God's got, it's kind of got this flavor of like God is for you and he's not, it's not going to be unbearable and life's going to work out for you because God's like on your team. God won't give you more than you can handle. That looks good on Instagram or Facebook, does it not? You put a little, little swirly on the side of it and it looks awesome on Monday morning on Facebook. I've heard this so many times from people. A lot of folks will come into my office say things where they're going through difficult times and they'll say, Pastor Brian, I know that God won't give me more than, you, than I can handle. And I gently try to look at them and say, really? Is that really how you're feeling right now? That God hasn't given you more than you can handle? See, this, this phrase is often used to comfort people or to comfort those who are suffering, either to comfort yourself or to comfort others who are suffering. I most often hear this quote when somebody's going through a really difficult season of life and somebody wants to encourage them and somebody wants to say, hey, listen, God's not going to, he's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well-meaning people say this when you're going through a tough time. and, And here's one of the big problems with that. The saying infers that God gives you problems, right? God won't give you more than you can handle. This doesn't, this doesn't cover the whole category of things that you do to yourself, correct? Right? We, we don't like to admit this, but oftentimes the problem is me, right? The problem often is me. It, it also infers that every, everything like, like is, is given from God. And then secondly, that it's our job to take care of it. Right? God won't give you more than you can handle. So God gives the issues and then you, you handle it. And this is not found within Scripture. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God knows everything that will possibly happen. Yes, He will allow bad things to happen. Yes, He will allow suffering. Yes, His one and only Son went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. But God doesn't give you more than you can Handle is not accurate. Because uh, what we're saying is, he, he, he won't give you too much. You'll be fine in the end. And we just, we just know that that's not true. Raise your hand if you've ever had a season of life that you thought was more than you could bear. Raise it high. Just do it, please. Look around, right? Most of us have our hands raised. Most of us have gone through a season of our life that we thought, I cannot, I cannot handle this. And so I want to talk this morning uh, 
about where this might come from and then give you a better passage to comfort you. Where this might come from, this saying, is actually from 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 13. Turn there if you got your Bible. It's up on the, on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 10, um, verses 13. And it says this, No temptation has overcome you or overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay. Um, if you're going to dig deeper in the Bible, I have uh, some dig deeper stuff on the back of the bulletin this week, some Bible study for you to do. I want you to refer to the book of James, in particular James chapter 1, which talks about trials and temptations and the building of who we are um, through Christ. And um, here's the point with this, right? This doesn't have to do with God giving you more than you can handle. It has to do with temptation. Right? And so it's completely taken out of context when someone says, God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, God will not allow you to be tempted more than you can bear because he's always going to give you a way out. The simple sermon on this is, and, and this is an oversimplification, but it's a different sermon I'm not going to preach this morning, which is this. Um, you've always got a way out. And if you really think about that, a lot of temptation situations in your life, you could have just walked away, Right? You didn't need to participate in that gossip conversation. Uh, you, you didn't need to engage in those lusty thoughts that you had. You, you didn't need to um, embezzle that money. You could have walked away from that temptation, correct? And God gives us ways out of temptation. He is with us in temptation. Uh, think about this. Adam and Eve, did they have to eat the, uh, the fruit? No, they did it on their own accord, Right? They did it on their own accord. And so God gives us a way out of our temptation. I got, there's a lot of nuance there, and I don't have time to do that verse justice. But this verse is not about comforting those who are suffering. Correct? It's not about God not giving you more than you can handle. So what's a better verse? What's a better comfort for today? I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all, say it with me, comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which provides, produces in you patient, patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, listen to this, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. It sounds like Paul had more than he could handle, right? Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God 
who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us and, and you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So with our time left together this morning, I just want to take some time to unpack this passage. Another important tip for reading the Bible properly is to understand the context of what you are reading. So we are here in 2 Corinthians, meaning there is a 1 Corinthians as well. Now you may ask yourself, who are these Corinthians? Great question. The Corinthians are a group of believers who Paul is writing to. Paul is a teacher, he's an apostle, he's a pastor, and he's going around right after Jesus' death, and he's planting churches. So he has planted this church, he has set up uh, an elder board, and he has set up uh, all the, the ministry of the saints there in Corinth, and he has said, hey, go and love others, and love God, and teach others to love God, and become disciples just like you. And he goes on to the next town, and to the next town, and to the next town. And so he's writing these letters to the Corinthians. He writes a first letter to the Corinthians, and this is his second letter to the Corinthians. And we have to understand the context of this because it's so foreign for us. Because um, the reality is, we may feel like we need to be comforted, but we live in a very comfortable society. Because the context of Paul, what Paul is coming from, is that as he has traveled around sharing the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has risen from the dead and he offers everlasting life to everyone who puts their trust in him, guess what he has endured? He has endured, um, he has endured imprisonment. He has been beaten. He has been starved. At one point, he gets shipwrecked and then bitten by a deadly venomous snake that comes out of a fire. That's a bad day, right? You ever had a day like that? I ain't had a day like that. And so Paul is familiar with sufferings. He, he has given all he possibly has for the gospel. And I don't want to minimize our sufferings, but can we just be really honest for one little moment and say, we've never had a day like Paul? So when Paul talks about suffering, and when Paul talks about comfort, we should listen up. So Paul says to them, listen, I I want you to understand all that I have gone through. I want to be honest with you, be truthful with you. He writes in this beautiful letter of love. If you continue, he has this deep, deep sense of love for the church in Corinth. And there's four implications of this passage for us and for those believers in particular when it comes to comfort. Number one, verse four, God comforts us when we suffer. So praise, I'm going to start at verse three, praise be to God and our God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble. See, the first point here as we unpack this is that Paul is going through these imprisonments, these sufferings, these beatings. He's being shipwrecked and and bitten by snakes. And yet he is finding comfort because he is finding comfort in God alone. 
See, that's what's so dangerous about this little fake verse is that um, what it insinuates is that we need to handle it on our own, that we can handle it on our own, that God won't give us more than we can handle. And it makes us about it makes it about us. It makes it about we can figure this out. We can comfort ourselves. We can take care of this situation. And the reality is you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. Listen, you didn't come out of, of your mother's womb strong enough, correct? Right? You couldn't feed yourself, change yourself, think for yourself. You couldn't, you couldn't do nothing. Before you even came out of the womb, you were completely dependent upon your mother sustaining you through a little tube that goes into you that gets cut in a really odd way when you come out, right? Like... You were fully dependent even at birth. I mean, are, are, you, are you aware that like, you're not willing your heart to beat right now? It's a natural process of your body, right? But you're not, you're not thinking about each and every breath. Well, maybe you are now. You're like, oh, take a breath. Okay, right? Um, but your body is just doing that. And, and how many of us know the reality that that can be taken from us at any moment. We cannot comfort ourselves. And so we have to reach to someone who can really comfort us. And that is God himself. Paul says, God is the one who comforts us in our suffering. Number two, our suffering gives us the ability to then comfort others. So you've heard me talk about some of this, uh, our seasons of life, and we had five years of infertility, a couple of miscarriages. Um, in the middle of that, I broke my Achilles tendon. I remember laying there, like kind of drugged up, being like, "Oh, I can't, I can't, like, I can't do this, man. Like this life is horrible. This is more than I can handle." Um, and I had a lot of folks that like wanted to comfort me. And they did a really bad job at it. Anybody else been in that situation? They, they like make blanket statements like this. God won't give you more handle. And you're like, well, I'll trade you your life for my life. Well, let's see how that goes, right? Um, or we had folks in our life who said um, that we were just misaligned with the will of God. And that God was like willing all of this bad stuff upon us because we had some problems that we needed to take care of. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, are you, are we living on the same planet here? And I had people who wanted to give me pat answers and they wanted to tell me about their, you know, that, 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 that it was going to be okay. And they, they wanted to even quote Bible verses that like they thought this is going to make it all better. We're going to tie a bow on this. And there was nothing that could tie a bow on the situation in that season of my life. There was nothing. There was nothing you could say to make it better. It was what it was. And the thing that I recognized in hindsight was that a lot of those people who, ad, who answered with those pat answers, who didn't really know what to say, a lot of them hadn't suffered very well in their life. See, it was the people who had suffered well in their life, those were the ones who came by us, and they really didn't say that much. They were just there. They asked us what we needed. They listened a lot. They cried with us. They didn't say, I know why God's allowing this to happen. They didn't say things like that. They said, I don't know why God is allowing this season in your life. And, and I can tell you, like, it was like clockwork. 
The people that loved us well when we were suffering and comforted us well when we were suffering brought us the comfort of God that they themselves had received from God at some point in their life. So part of the point of this passage is that some of your suffering can be used in an incredible way to comfort others. And, um, fair warning, people who have not suffered often gives, give these pat answers and often cannot walk this road with you. And so when you're in these seasons of life, look for people who have lived a little bit. Look for people who have been hurt, who are broken, who know what it's like to walk the road that you have walked because God has allowed them to walk that road. He has comforted them so that they can then comfort you. So surround yourselves with those if you're suffering. And if you're one of those people who knows somebody who's suffering, surround them. Because you have been in that situation. You have been in that moment as well. Number three, um, Jesus suffered. Verse five. For just as we share in the abund- abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So this is unique to Christianity. We have a God who can identify with our suffering. I jokingly said this verse last week and said, you can memorize this verse. Jesus wept, right? You can memorize that. It's a good one. Um, so this, the context of that little passage is that his friend Lazarus had died. And he, he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave, right? He was going to make Lazarus come back to life. But in Jesus' just beautiful humanity, he wept because his friend had died. Beyond that, Jesus suffered immense pain. He Listen, he didn't have food every day. He didn't have drink every day. He was homeless. Anybody understand this? Jesus was homeless. He had no place to go. He, didn't even, he couldn't even find an inn to stay in when he was born, right? Jesus was a man of suffering. A man who suffered through the worst torture that any human being could um, suffer through. The Romans had perfected crucifixion so that it would hurt you just as bad as it possibly could, but keep you alive. And Jesus suffered through all of that. He reached deep into the heart of humanity and he suffered with us and for us. And he is not unfamiliar with our suffering. And some of you think, some of you have been taught that he's up here and he's away and he's far from you. And so when you're suffering, you can't understand that he could actually be next to you, with you, walking with you through it because he has been through it himself and worse that he, he knows how to comfort you. And even when it feels like he's far away, it isn't that he is far away. It is that he's right next to you, offering you his comfort and his love. And he is familiar. He's familiar with what you're going through. Number four. God gave Paul more than he could handle. Verse eight. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. 
see this, this misquote of God won't give you more than you can handle is dangerous because, um, I don't know about you, but like, I have not written any books of the Bible. Okay. Paul did. Uh, I have not planted piles of churches. Paul did. I did not meet Jesus face to face on a road. Paul did. So if anybody should be able to say, you know what? God's not going to give me more than I can handle. It should have been Paul. He was a pretty good guy. He's like an A. We're all C's. Does that make sense? We're like maybe, maybe some B minuses in the room, but we're mostly C's compared to Paul. Okay. And so if anybody in the history of this earth can say, listen, I, I, I was, I was completely committed to Jesus Christ through all my suffering, through all my pain, through everything. If anybody should say, God shouldn't give me more than I can handle, it should have been Paul. But Paul allow, God allowed Paul to go, more, to go through more than he could handle. This isn't just a poetic language. He's just saying to them, listen, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We couldn't handle it. We despaired to life itself. We thought we were going to, we were going to die. And so God comforts us when we suffer. Our suffering gives us the ability to comfort others. Jesus himself suffered and God gave Paul more than he could handle. So you can expect that you will get more than you can handle as well. And so what's the big idea in this passage? The big idea is found in verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The big idea is for you to shift your reliance. And so the question this morning is who do we put our weight upon? Whether you're in this season right now, or you are going to be in this season someday, or you've just come out of this season of suffering where everything just seems to hurt, Uh, wherever you find yourself, where do you put your reliance, especially when suffering comes? Right? It's easy to be a Christian when everything's good. But where do you turn when everything goes bad? Where do you turn when suffering comes, when pain comes, when this life seems like it's against you and it's more than you can handle? The question is, where do you turn? And, and Paul would say this, this all happens so that we may learn not to rely on ourselves, but instead to shift our reliance to God. So what do you put your weight upon? What do you rely upon? So there, here, here's a good picture. We got this. Anybody ski this week? Okay. All right. Good. Um, so on your ski, the sides of the ski are called your edge. And you want to ride on where? The flat part or on? You want to you hang your edge, right? You want to be able to carve on your edge. You want to stay on your edge. And and the thing about skiing is that you need to trust your edge, correct? Like you get to the top of one of these, uh, one of these gullies and you're like, oh, I sure hope my edges are going to hold. It's going to be, it's going to be bad if they don't, right? And, and you, you go and you take your first turn and your edges hold. Here's what I've learned in learning how to ski steeper and steeper and steeper stuff, which is um, you want to get really tentative in this moment. And you want to not trust your skis. And if you don't trust your edges and you don't trust your skis, do you know what's going to happen? Bad things. Really bad 
bad things are going to happen if you don't trust the edge of your ski. It's not going to go well. So um, what, do you, what do you put your weight upon? What do you trust? What do you lean into? What do you rely upon? Especially when things are not going well. I want to close with this story and I want to invite the worship team to come and lead us in one last song. So, um, there's a man named Horatio Spafford. And he lived in the late 1800s in Chicago. Was a wealthy businessman. I was doing really, really well. Um, but in the matter of two years, a lot of things changed. And then in the matter of four years, a lot of things changed. In the matter of four years, he lost his two-year-old son. Two years later, uh, 1871, was the Great Fire of Chicago. And his business literally went up in flames. And two years after that, um, he was set to go over to Europe with his family and at the last second, he decided, I can't get on the boat. I'm going to send my family ahead of me. I've got to take care of some business stuff here at home. And as the boat was traveling with his four daughters and wife, that boat collided with another boat and sunk. And his four daughters all lost their lives. And the only one to survive was his wife. And he wrote a song. Um, and the song, the song goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, Horatio's favorite, he knew that only God could comfort him. That bad things were going to come, that there was no assurance that everything was going to be great for the rest of his life. And he knew in the midst of losing a son and his daughters and his business and everything, he could still say, it is well. It is well with my soul. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but... Man, I engage with enough of you to know that some of you need to cry out, it's well with my soul, even if deep down you're, you're wondering, can I trust that edge? <laughs> or is it going to give? Can I, can I trust? Can I trust in him? Is he trustworthy? As we sing this song based upon Horatio Spafford's beautiful song, um, we just encourage you to engage with this thought. Where do you put your trust? Where do, you, where do you put your weight? What do you rely upon? This life is more than you can handle. Let's stand and sing.